Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus comes declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God has arrived. And so if it's your first time here with us, if you're just jumping on board with us, or maybe you were here last week and you forgot what we were talking about, we are in week two of a series called This is the Way. I finally got my t-shirt, you know, heck yeah. Yeah. We are not selling these in the lobby. You'd have to go to Amazon just like me if you want one, but this is the way. And we are talking about the way of life in the kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus came and declared that the kingdom of God is near. As he was teaching and telling these parables, he was saying the kingdom of God is like this. And he would explain what the kingdom of God is like. And what we recognize and see here at New Story Church is the kingdom of God is not just this space that's going to be one day out there, someday after this, but no, the kingdom of God is is near, that the kingdom of God is present, that we pray that God's kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the life that Jesus lived, we see what happens when the kingdom of God begins to collide with the kingdoms of this world. And so we have been invited into the way of the kingdom, to walk in the way of the kingdom and is walking in the way of Jesus. And so I'm really pumped about this series. We're so grateful that you're here with us this week. If I've never met you before, my name's Scott Lackey. I'm the lead pastor here. And thank you so so much for making this a part of your morning, or if you're watching online, thank you for joining us. Subscribe so you can stay in touch with everything that we're doing. But uh, this is this is a fun series. So what we did last week is we looked at Matthew's view of the kingdom. If you're kind of new to this whole faith thing, the New Testament opens up with four different gospel accounts. They're like biographies of the life and ministry of Jesus. And last week we did an overview of Matthew's view of the kingdom that Jesus uh, initiated. And then this week we're going to look at Mark. Next week will be Luke and the following following week will be John. And what's really cool about doing these like overviews of the angles of the different gospels and what the writers are getting at is this will set the table for us to do even deeper studies and series in the future. So this is a really fun series to be in. Um, And what we're seeing is that while all of the biographies of the life of Jesus have their own little unique pieces to them, they all have a unified piece as well. And the unified piece that we're looking at is this, is that each of the writers wants us to know that the kingdom of God has arrived. As I started saying this morning, the kingdom of God has arrived. And Mark is so passionate about letting us know this that he starts with those words of Jesus that I started with this morning, Mark 1, 14 through 15, where Jesus says, hey, the kingdom of God is here. Mark skips right past the birth story. He just jumps right into it. And so I want us to continue to discover in this series together, what does it mean for us to live in the way? This is the way of the kingdom. And uh, it, it was, it, it's been really fun putting this together because in the world that we live in, we're, we find ourselves sometimes with the kingdoms of this world colliding with the kingdom of God, and we're trying to wrestle with and figure out that tension. And that's where, we pick, where we're going to pick up with Mark today. We're going to pick up in Mark chapter 4, and this story that we're going to look at is not unique to Mark. 
There's not a lot in Mark's gospel that is actually unique to him. For those of you who like little nerdy fun facts of biblical stuff for a moment, I'll just pause and I'll give you some here real quick, okay? So Mark was most likely written with the assistance of Peter. Peter walked really closely with Jesus. He's the one who denied Jesus three times and then afterwards Jesus affirmed him and then Peter preached at Pentecost that Peter. He most likely helped Mark put this thing together. We also believe that Mark's gospel is actually most likely the first one that was written and that Matthew borrowed from Mark and used Mark as source material with his own little flavor and angle. And then Luke borrowed from Mark and then put his little flavor and spin on it as well. And then we got John over here and John's doing his own thing. It's a beautiful thing that John's doing, but John's doing his own thing. He, he's, he has thrown his own party, doing his own thing. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have this interaction a little bit, but Matthew and Luke most likely did not borrow from one another. There's your, your, your scripture fun facts for this morning, okay? Also, last one, I forgot. What, last one. Mark is the shortest of the gospels and he uses the word immediately a lot. It's almost like he's always on the move. He's in a rush. So for those of you who've listened to me preach for some time, you know that I would really resonate with someone like Mark because I love that he's on the move. I love that he's always saying it. If you read in the translation that I read, which is the NASB, he uses the word immediately over and over again. It's like immediately Jesus did this and immediately Jesus did that. It's like, Mark, you're, I mean, you got Jesus on the move right here. I'm like, yeah, Mark, you're my guy on the move, ready to roll, ready to go. It's like Mark doesn't pause to take a breath. Immediately Jesus did this. Immediately Jesus did that. And so we, we get this story started where Jesus is declaring the kingdom of God. In Mark 1, 2, and 3, and then most of 4, things are going the kingdom of God. In Mark 1, 2, and 3, and then most of 4, things are going really well. Jesus picks up a, a group of followers. He, he's a brilliant teacher. They've healed some people. They've seen Jesus heal some people. Things are going really, really well. But then Mark places this story in Mark 4, and it's in an interesting spot because this is the moment where it feels as if the kingdoms of this world are going to collide with the kingdom of God. Here's what happens in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 and 36. On that day when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. They decide to travel to the other side. Now, this place of the other side might have been somewhat unknown to the disciples. They're going over to a place that maybe would have had a little bit more Gentile influence. It may have been a space that they weren't in all that often. And so now they're leaving this crowd. They're leaving the crowd that's following Jesus. It's enamored with Jesus. And they're leaving the crowd to go to the other side. They're leaving to kind of go to this unknown space. Will they have a crowd there? What's going to happen here? The other side. The other side in some ways is representative of the unknown. And we talk about this a lot here at New Story, that many times when Jesus is calling us forward, he's calling us forward into a space of the unknown. He's calling us into a spot that we really, oh man, I don't know, that makes me uncomfortable. Because we as humans, we, we don't like the unknown. We like control. We like knowing what's going to happen. We like the predictable. And so when by faith, Jesus calls us into the unknown, sometimes it's easy, I'm going to stay back with the crowd. I don't know if I can go over to the other side. I mean, even me, I like the unknown on vacations, like to go explore a new city or to see something new. When I'm prepped for the unknown, I kind of like it. Here's when I don't like the unknown. I don't like the unknown when I say, you know what? Kim's been working hard. So I'm going to go do some grocery shopping and I'm going to go to a Wegmans or a Tops that I don't normally go to because I just happen to be close to this one. And I go in there and I can't find a thing. And I'm like, my Tops puts the salsa here. 
My Wegmans puts the bread over. Why is it? What, what is going on in this store right now? Now I have to ask somebody for help. I'm going to look like a moron because I can't figure out my way around a grocery store to find simple things. I don't like the unknown when I feel like uh, I should know what's in here right now. I don't like unknown grocery stores. It's something that like kind of stresses me out actually to go into a grocery store that I know. And, and I go in, I, I just don't like it. And some of you, you're, you're even, you're just like that, or maybe even more to extreme. You just don't like unknown social settings. To go to the unknown can be intimidating for some of us. And so Jesus, when he calls us by faith into the unknown, it's easy to just stay back and get stuck. Or I've talked to some, some believers before who they've said, oh, you know what? My faith journey, it just feels like it's the same thing over and over again. The same struggle. It's predictable. Yeah, it's just, you know, faith's kind of, it's just same cycle. I do this, I do that. And I wonder if sometimes a person's faith struggle can become predictable because while it may not make any sense for, to for us to choose sin or while it may not make any sense for us to choose the thing that is beneath our intention or while it may not make sense for us to choose what it is that Christ doesn't want us to do, it's sometimes easier just to choose that thing because it's predictable. And it's sometimes easy just to pr choose predictable because it's comfortable and it keeps me in control then. If I choose what's predictable, then I stay in control. I don't have to go to the unknown where I surrender control to him. And so then we just start creating this narrative, oh, faith's predictable, faith this, faith, you know, faith's just the same old thing over and over again. And it's not faith that's the same thing as over and over again. It's you who is choosing the same thing over and over and over again. Because oftentimes it's easier to choose the predictability of bondage than it is to choose the freedom that is in the unknown of Christ, that Christ is leading us into. Because while it's unknown to us, it's never unknown to him. And when he's pulling us towards the other side, we have to be willing to say, I'm going to step out of that old cycle. I'm going to step away from that old way of life. I'm going to step away from when I have control over everything, and I'm going to go to where he has control. And that's where the disciples begin to go when they go to the other side with him. And this is where we see a kingdom reality. This is where a kingdom reality starts to come into play. And the kingdoms of this world collide with the kingdom of God as they're going to the other side. They're already going to the space of the unknown, and then something happens. Something happens where it's like that moment that Jesus talks about in John 16, where he says, in this world, you will face trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What does that even mean? Well, he has overcome the world. That means there's a kingdom reality for us to live in, but we will face trouble because the kingdoms of this world will at times collide with the kingdom of God. And what are we going to choose to place our faith in in that moment? What are we going to choose to see when the kingdoms of this world come against the reality of the kingdom of God where all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. What happens in that moment? Because that's what starts to happen in this story. Look at this in Mark chapter 4, verses 37 through 38. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. So this, there's a big storm, the boat's filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, it's easy to be critical of the disciples in this moment, but how many of you have been in this spot before? Maybe you're new to faith. Maybe you've been walking in faith for quite some time, but you've had a moment in life where something happened and you're like, God, do you even care? Do you even care that I'm perishing? Do you even care that I feel like I'm drowning right now? Do you even care? Do you even notice what's happening around me? 
We've all been in this spot before. It's not a literal storm, most likely, like they were in. Maybe some of you are on boats a lot. I don't know. But, but I, oftentimes, it's just the storm of life itself. And teacher, do you care that we are perishing? This is that moment when you start to ask yourself, what did I get myself into? What did I get myself into? Because yes, you understand there's a blessing. The disciples would have seen the blessing of knowing and following Jesus because they've already experienced some of his great teaching and his healing abilities and all of these things that he's done. But now there's this storm, and that's the fixation, and it's when blessing and burden collide, where the kingdom reality collides with the kingdoms of this world, and you're wondering, do you even care? What's going on, God? It's the, it, what did I get myself into? That's the question I ask myself every time I get on a roller coaster. What did I get myself into? because I'm afraid of heights. Why would I do this to myself? But then once I go down the hill, I enjoy the ride, and I'm like, this is why I did this. This is amazing. I love it. But in the moment, it feels like that hill going up that hill, like click, click, click. It feels like it's never going to stop. And I start looking down, and I start thinking, what if something were to happen? And I get really, really nervous in that moment. But this goes beyond roller coasters. This goes on to real life. This is where this story starts to become your story. It's where this story starts to become my story. It starts to become all of our stories where things were going really, really well. But then all of a sudden something happens. And while you have all of these things around you that you feel blessed by, the burden of the present circumstance becomes your fixation. It's the story. So many stories can be found in this. It's the story of the college graduate where you worked really, really hard in school. You got a bachelor's, maybe a master's. Maybe you went even further than that. You graduated at the top of your class. You studied. This was your passion. This was going to be your life calling. You couldn't wait to do it. You go out. You get a job. Things are going well at first, but then you're like, I don't really know if I like doing this all that much, and I have to do this for the rest of my life? And on paper, it looks great. You have the degree. You have the accomplishments. Maybe you even eventually got married. Oh, man, this is wonderful. I'm getting a paycheck. But the burden of having to do this every single day, that starts to become your fixation. And you wonder, did I waste time studying for this? And as much as that might seem trivial to some people, for some people, that's all too real. And you feel like you get stuck in this cycle. Yes, there's so much that I'm blessed to have, but the burden of this current situation, did I waste time? What should I do? I don't know. It's the story of the picture-perfect family. Things are great. You have a beautiful home. You have, you have kids. You have, you, have, you have all the stuff. You have a job. But then maybe something tragic happens to one of your children, or maybe something tragic happens to your spouse. And in that moment, you're like, I have so much to be thankful for. I have so many blessings. But the storm of this moment, this burden, this thing that I'm carrying, it's it becomes the fixation. It's hard and it's difficult. For these guys, this storm would have meant a lot to them because they may have started thinking of Jonah, who when he was on the run from God, God sent a storm. So they might be thinking, are we doing something wrong? It's the story that so many of us, it's the story of the first century Christian who would have who would have picked up Mark's gospel, most likely in Rome, because we believe it most likely was directed to the church at Rome, who just became a follower of Jesus and is reading this story and is finding so much life in it, but then their close friends died at the hands of Nero. And there's so much to be thankful for, the blessing, but the burden, the weight, it's all too real. When the kingdoms of this world collide with the reality of the kingdom of God. And you're saying, teacher, we are perishing. What are you going to do about this right now? It's all too real. And then in that moment, 
They say, teacher, do you care that we are perishing? And then Jesus responds. Mark chapter 4, verse 39. And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. Notice what he didn't do. Jesus didn't erase time and then act as if the storm never, ever existed. He didn't completely take it away from their memory. But as soon as they called upon his name, he got involved and he brought peace and calm. When his kingdom comes, there is a kingdom calm that you can experience. I know that's a little cheesy alliteration or whatever, but hopefully you remember it now. When there's a kingdom calm, when his kingdom comes, there is a kingdom calm. When you call out to his name, he may not fully take away all of the storm and all of the circumstances, but there's a calm. As Paul talks about, there's a peace that surpasses all understanding in Christ Jesus to know that when the kingdoms of this world start attacking, when it seems as if they're getting their way, there's another kingdom, a reality to live in that has authority over those kingdoms, that has authority over that space. And so there's a kingdom calm to know that he's close, he's present, and he will say, be still, and he will bring about new life and new creation in that moment. That's what he'll begin to do. And this would have been so, so mind-boggling for the disciples, because to them, God was the one who had authority over the waters and the seas. They would have, they would have known that they would have maybe even talked about this from the Psalms. Psalm 65 says this, who God, God stills the roaring of the seas and the roaring of their waves. Psalm 89 says this, uh, the next slide here says, you rule the oceans, you subdue their storm-tossed waves. That's who God is. And so in this moment, they would have began to see that he's not just teacher as they once called him. And he was a brilliant teacher and the most brilliant teacher to ever live. But they would have begun to see him as God in the flesh. That Jesus is not just going around doing tricks to prove that he is God. No, he has come as God in the flesh to rescue people, to rescue humanity. And he has authority over the sea and over all things. And so I just want to let some know today that wherever you find yourself, when the kingdoms of this world are bubbling up, that there's a kingdom reality that will bring a kingdom calm, and he has authority over all things, and then in Christ, we are more than overcomers. In Christ, there's always a way to move forward. In Christ, he will show up and say, peace be still, and he may not fully take away the storm, but he will give you the calm and the strength to get through it and begin to see a kingdom reality. This is what he began. This is the beauty of living in the kingdom, of discovering the way of the kingdom. Secondly, we see a kingdom challenge. Kingdom challenge. So the storm is settled. And then Jesus it kind of issues a challenge. He asks a question. And when I first read this question, when I used to read this question, I, I read it as Jesus almost being a little sassy or a little bit snarky. Maybe he is. Maybe we have a little bit of sassy Jesus. I don't think so. I don't think that's what's going on here. Jesus asks a question, and when we begin to look at it through the lens of the entire life and ministry of Jesus, what I, what I believe that Jesus is showing to us is a kingdom challenge. He asks them this question in Mark 4.40, and he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? I'm wondering if they were still trembling in fear after he calmed the storm, because he said to them, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And I don't read this question as Jesus saying, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? At one point I thought, is that what Jesus is doing here? Is he like playing a game with them? I said, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? I think this is a kingdom challenge and a kingdom invitation where Jesus is asking them, what do you see and what 
are you choosing to see? That once he has made his presence known as you've called upon him and you see that he is the king of kings over all creation and he brings his kingdom calm to the space that you find yourself in. And he says, hey, why are you still afraid? I'm here. There's a challenge now to move forward. What do you see and what else could you possibly see if you continue to move forward, if you continue to follow him? It's almost as if Jesus is alluding to this idea of, if I can do this when you have little to no faith, imagine what you will begin to see me do when you have an unshakable faith. Imagine what you will begin to see me do when you have a faith that is not rattled. And I know that that's not an easy place for us to get to, but imagine if we as a church could work together to get to that spot where our faith is not easily shaken. And imagine what we would begin to see the King of Kings do in and through our lives as his kingdom has invaded this world. It made me think of a parable in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter, not a parable, a healing story in Mark chapter 8. And they came to Bethsaida. And they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. And after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men for I see them like trees walking around. Then again, he laid his hands on his eyes and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. Keep that slide up for a moment. So first Jesus touches this man. And then the man says, uh, I see they're like trees walking around. And there's so many meanings to this story, but one of the ways I think that we can apply this story is to see that I think a lot of us have come to a spot where we've had like one experience with Jesus. Maybe it was at a, at a church or at a camp or, or, or maybe a missions trip or or maybe one time in your quiet time with him, you had this one experience and then we build our entire faith off of that one experience and we, we kind of stop seeking him and we just get going through the motions. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I go to church on Sundays and you know, I just you know, kind of do my thing. And we've had one experience with Jesus and so our faith has went from blind to blurry. I see him like trees. Our faith has went from blind to blurry because we had one experience and we kind of just build our entire faith off of that one experience then. But I I believe that we should be continuously seeking Jesus to not just have one experience with him, but to have another one. And this one ends up being two and the man sees clearly, but to have another and another, to daily be following Jesus, to be seeking him in all areas of our life, to not just confine this to a Sunday morning so that we don't just have one experience where we go from blind to blurry, then just get stuck in the motions of, oh yeah, this is what I do. But we go from blurry to clarity where we begin to clearly see that he has given us a kingdom challenge to become somebody different. He's given us a kingdom challenge to see things that we can only see through eyes of faith. That he's given us a kingdom challenge to become who it is that he has called us and designed us to be. And that means daily taking up our cross and following him. That means daily saying, Jesus, I am going to give this to you today. I'm going to follow you today and I'm going to serve you. And we're going to fall short sometimes. We're not always going to get it right. But it's about the posture of our hearts, centering our lives around Jesus and saying, Jesus, My focus is on you today, and I'm going to seek for it to be that every day. And as we continue to move forward in that, it won't just be one experience with him where we go from blind to blurry, and we're just trying to navigate through life, but we'll go from blurry to clarity, and we'll begin to see that Jesus is doing something in and through our lives and around our lives every single day. It's not just on a Sunday. It is every single day. Amen, church. So a few weeks ago, if you were here, 
I revealed that I bought these wonderful Kloros glasses, and I said I can't waste my money and only use them once. So I'm going to use them again. And what we talked about in that message was, yes, look, yeah, it's a good look, right? My friend Vern always says, I'm going to get some new clothes for you. I said, no, Vern, Vern, I like, I like my style. But anyways, thank you, Vern. I appreciate it. We go back and forth with each other. Vern's a funny guy. You got to meet him. But anyways, so I, these cross glasses, we talked about how we read the scriptures, to seek to read the scriptures through the lens of the cross, to have the cross be our hermeneutic and all these wonderful, beautiful, big words that we talked about. But I also think that it would be appropriate for us to say that we should seek to have cross vision, not just through the way we read the scriptures, but to seek to have cross vision through the way in which we live our lives. That if we were to accept a kingdom challenge, what we would begin to discover is that when you look at the cross, at first it looks like death. At first, it looks like rejection is won the day. At first, it looks as if destruction and abandonment could win the day. But when you know the full story of the cross, you know that resurrection is inevitable. When you know the full story of the cross, you know that life will always burst forth. When you know the full story of the cross, you know that light and life win the day and that death does not win the day. And so if we seek to live with a kingdom challenge and a kingdom vision, what we'll begin to find is even when the storm comes our way, it might look ugly at first, but guess what? Three days later, he came out of the grave. Three days later, he rose again. Three days later, there's resurrection. And so when we live life with a cross vision, we will have a kingdom vision to say, hey, this storm, it, it, it's wrestling with my heart right now. It feels like the kingdoms of this world are winning right now. It feels like that, but you know what? I know it's not true because I'm going to have faith to lean into Jesus and say resurrection is inevitable. I'm going to have faith to see that resurrection will always Always burst forth and win the day. That's what it means to accept a kingdom challenge, church. And when we do that, we begin to bring hope to the world around us. It's a beautiful vision of who we can become. And lastly, kingdom curiosity. Kingdom curiosity. I know the idea of curious and faith. They don't always go together depending on maybe what your upbringing was or, or how you grew up and but curiosity is key. Curiosity is so important for us to have a growing curiosity about who God is, to have, for us to have a growing curiosity about what God is doing around us, to have a growing curiosity about what he's called us to do. It's, it's so easy to get into a religious motion I have all the answers and I know all these things about God and I'm just going to tell and, and to stop asking questions. You know how I know it's easy because I've been there one too many times myself. It's easy to get to the, just to, to be critical and to have all the statements but not have any. And I, I, I would say this, and I know this is going to be a bit of a bold statement, but the moment that we lose curiosity about God is the moment that we stop growing with God. The moment that we lose curiosity about God is the moment that we stop growing with God. In fact, the moment that we start having more answers than questions is the moment we start looking more like Pharisees and less like Jesus. The moment that we just, oh, I know it all, I just got to, no, there's a kingdom curiosity. In the way of the kingdom, we are asking questions, growing, learning, and those questions move us closer to Jesus. God, who are you? God, what else are you doing? God, show me more about God. I want to know more. I want to learn more. Because this story ends with curiosity. Look at this with the disciples. Mark 4, 41. They became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They were afraid, but they still asked questions. 
What's so inspiring to me about their questions here is they don't stop following him. Even though they're afraid, they don't stop following. They just continue to ask questions. And then they follow him to the other side. And a man who was demon-possessed is healed in Mark chapter 5. They see something miraculous. They see something unbelievable. They once again see the kingdom of God having authority over the kingdoms of this world. And their kingdom curiosity pushes them to move forward. So just one thing to take from this is when you live in a kingdom reality, and when we take up our cross to accept the kingdom challenge, it will encourage others to be curious and start asking questions about the kingdom. Because Jesus was living in a kingdom reality, and they started asking questions. But also, as the disciples were asking questions, we should never stop asking questions. Always growing, always learning. This is a piece of a childlike, humble faith. But Jesus says, let the children come to me. Children are always asking questions, almost to a degree that you say, can you please stop? They just ask and ask and ask. Just a few weeks ago, we were with our nephews. I was talking to my nephew, Jack, and he was proudly sharing with me about how he's in kindergarten. I know that's a very big accomplishment for him that he's in kindergarten. And uh, so he was talking to me about kindergarten and it was, it was fun. And then I thought, how do I carry on a conversation with him about kindergarten? I don't remember my kindergarten experience very well, except that I went to a private school. Um, that's all I really remember. And I think I remember my teacher. Anyways, that's a tangent. So I, I don't remember a lot about kindergarten. I thought, what can I tell Jack about kindergarten? And so I said, you know what, Jack? You would not believe the things that I saw when I was in kindergarten. You just would not believe it. And he goes, what? What did you see when you were in kindergarten? And then I thought, oh no, now I need to come up with something. <laughs> and so my, my twisted mind went exactly to where it always goes to, Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> and because he's the best musician to ever live. If you didn't know that, but I mean, he's just, he's just, so... <laughs> I'm going to go see him twice this year, by the way. So anyways, Weird Al, has, <laughs> that's pathetic, but Weird, Weird, Weird Al has an original song called With My Own Eyes. And the, the chorus of the song is, with my own eyes, I've seen things that would drive a normal man insane, which I could disconnect my brain from my own eyes. That's the chorus of this song. And then he starts saying all these different things that he's seen with his own eyes. And I thought, I'm going to just mention things from that song to Jack when he asks me, what did you see when you were in kindergarten? And so one of the things is in the song, I said, Jack, you wouldn't believe, I saw a baby drive a truck. That's one of the things in the song. He goes, what? He's in kindergarten. He said, what else did you see? And I said, um... What was another thing in the song? So I came up, oh yeah, I saw, I saw a guy who had underwear made of crickets. Um, that's in the song. And it's also not that unlikely because I was raised in North Carolina at this point in time. So, you know, you never know what you're going to see down there. But anyways, and, and so I just, and then he kept saying to me, he kept saying, what did you see? And then he would say, what did you see? What else did you see? And I was like, okay, what are some other lyrics in this song? Okay, we got to keep it appropriate. And then I would just, uh, and then I would say, oh, I saw this. I saw, and I just kept saying, and he kept saying, what else did you see? He kept saying, what else did you see? And then he kept saying, what else did you see? That's the heart of the child, and that's the heart of the kingdom curiosity that we are called to have, to constantly be asking, God, what else is there? What else can I see? What else do you have for me? To not just stop and say, oh yeah, God, I'm done, or I know it all, or I'm just going to go tell a bunch. No, what else can I see? What else is there? To be like a child, God, what else? What more? I want to know more. I want to follow. What else is there? That's the heart of kingdom curiosity. Far too many people that I know have unfortunately left faith or walked away from faith and they've said, uh, you know what, I just felt like I couldn't ask questions. I felt like I couldn't grow. Don't allow curiosity to be the thing that dooms your faith. Allow curiosity to be the thing that develops your faith. Curiosity should not doom our faith. It should develop and grow our faith. Oh my goodness, who is this that the winds and the seas obey him? I want to know more. 
What else can I see? What else can I know? How much more can I know him? Let curiosity be that which drives your faith to grow. So before this story in Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells a parable a few, a few verses before. At the beginning of this parable, he says, the kingdom of God is like this. And I want to share this parable with you as we begin to close things out today. He said, and he was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil and he goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows. How he himself does not know. The seed, it just starts growing. And how does it grow? He doesn't know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, I don't know much about putting in a sickle or anything like that because I don't know anything about gardening, to be honest with you. Um, I don't do those types of things. But anyways, the, the kingdom of God grows. We don't know how, but he grabs the sickle and he gets to work. When the harvest comes, it doesn't mean it's time to sit back and relax. When the harvest comes, it means it's time to work. It means it's time to pick up our cross. It means it's time for us to go. It's time for us to move. It's time for us to do something. And, it, and I, I just feel a calling for us as a church to say, let's pick up our sickle. Let's start following. Let's start doing kingdom work because the kingdom of God is already taking root. It's already moving. There's stuff happening all around you wherever you find yourself every single day. And it's time for us to be the church and pick up our sickle and get moving. And I get it though. When the storm comes, it's easy to think, I can't focus on that right now because this is happening here. And yes, there's a time for healing. There's a time for restoration. Sometimes you need to take time for that. But there's a time when you come out of the storm where he speaks calm over the storm. And it's time to live in a new kingdom reality. And oftentimes what you went through in your storm is a way for you to minister to someone else. And the kingdom reality that, you, that he's now given you is a way to move forward. But don't become fixated on the storm and allow it to paralyze you and keep you back from what God has for you. Because storms have a way of doing that. Storms have a way of altering our reality and making us think, oh, I'm just done with this. You know how I know that? Because every year it happens here in Buffalo. We get hit with a bad snowstorm and I get on social media. I'm done with Buffalo. I'm ready to move out from here. I've had a, I'm so sick and tired of Buffalo and the snow. I'm tired of shoveling and blah, 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 blah. And the storm, it makes you forget about our wonderful pizza. <laughs> you want to go somewhere else? No, you don't. It makes you forget about Duff's and Anchor Bar and Gabriel's Gate and the Wing Trail and oh my, and Barbell. It makes you forget about Paula's Donuts. It makes you forget about the Bills. Don't let the storm keep you from seeing all of the wonderful things that have been given to you. All of the wonderful things around you that make this a great place, but also in your faith journey, don't allow the storm to keep you from the kingdom reality that resurrection is inevitable. Don't allow the storm to keep you from the kingdom challenge that you have a cross to bear. You have an assignment from God and we have to get out with our sickle and we have work to do because God has been moving and he's called us to work in the harvest. And there's a kingdom curiosity. Keep growing, keep asking questions. My invitation is for us as a church to become kingdom people. And as we experience kingdom calm, we will see his kingdom come. And we will bring about a kingdom reality to this space. A reality of life, a reality of resurrection, and a reality where each and every one of us picks up our assignment and becomes who it is that Christ has called us to be. This is the way of the kingdom.